0: Good morning, everyone. Our day that we remember that Jesus is alive, the day that we remember that he conquered death, the day we remember that we have hope for a future that is beyond the current shell that you live in. Some of our shells are better than others. Some of us have got much older shells. Some of us have got much younger shells. Not my wife, I was in talking about the shell of the body, yeah? But friends, this is, this is not it. This is, if you like, the rehearsal before the main game. This is the preparation for eternity. It doesn't mean that we take it easy now, as Kenny said, that we're here to love God and serve God and honor Him. But on, but on the resurrection day, we remember that He came to life. And because He came to life, He offers us new life. He offers us eternal life. And to grab a hold of that eternal life, all you've got to do is grab a hold of Him. Grab a hold of Jesus. Trust in Him. Rely on Him. And when this shell fades, when it gets old and wrinkly like Mr. X, no offense, Mr. X, it breaks down and it does. It's part of the journey. But when we get to the end, that final breath, we can look forward to the life, the life to come because of His resurrection for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray, then we're going to dive in. Father, we want to thank you this morning that we can gather on this Resurrection Sunday, the day we remember that Christ was risen from the dead, the one who conquered death and offers us hope, offers us new life, offers us life after death. Father, we pray as we come to your word now that you will anoint me through this task, that you'll give us clean minds, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us today. God, prepare us. Get us ready for what you're about to say. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Clicker. Thanks, George. Good catch. Hey, did you enjoy the weekend? We had Thursday night here. Thank you, Martin. If you're in the, Martin in the room, there he is. He's in the room. Martin, that was a fabulous Passover feast. We're going to do that. We're going to make that an annual event such a blessing. And then Friday we had Easter service and then Saturday we had a massive day. We had 150 people at Liverpool. There was 50 of us, 100 of them. And we've never done anything in that community before. We don't have a reputation. They don't know who we are. People came through Facebook. Some came through the sign. Some came through pamphlets that were advertised. So it was a good start. And just like we started at Padstow Small and it grew to last night we had, how many people? I don't know, thousands, a couple of thousand And we got to present the message of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do, present it. And we should pray and we encourage you to pray that God will use that and that it would touch hearts and penetrate hearts and that people will come to faith in Christ because he is our only hope. He is our only hope. And then we're here again this morning and then 11 o'clock and then I'm going on holidays for three weeks. I'm tired. I need a break. Why are you clapping? Is that because you're celebrating or you're sending me, Sam? Which one? I need a break. Get out. Get out. I need a break. Hey, I've got some uh, pictures I want to show you. Who can tell me who that is? Don Bradman. Turn to the person next to you and, and answer this question. How would you describe him? Turn to the person next to you. How would you describe him? All right, that's enough. How would you describe him? You like your answers? Here we go. We've got five people to get through. Stephen Davies. How do you describe him? Ninety-nine point nine four was his battering average. Someone else, how would you describe the Don? The greatest, of all time. the greatest of all time, in sport. In sport, that's a big call. Another, another, another. Descri- Sorry, Ross. He was set in his ways. Anyone else want more description of the Don? Humble. Let me tell you what the Don said about himself. Are you interested in this? He said, "I set great store. I set great store in certain qualities which I believe to be essential in addition to skill. They are that the person conducts, conducts his or her life with dignity, with integrity, courage, and perhaps most of all with modesty." That's interesting, isn't it? That's how the Don described himself. Who's this person? Turn to the person next to you. How would you describe him? Big Big eyebrows. Alrighty, what are your answers? What are your answers? A statesman. Come back, everyone. Come back. A statesman. I heard someone in the front row say, "Big eyebrows." Frank. Huh? He can't bowl. That's true. We saw that in India. Bounced three or four times. Any other description from Mr. Johnny Howard? passion for his country. One more. We We, we do need more like John Howard. I would agree with that. This is how he described himself. He said, I'm just an average Australian. That's how John Howard described himself. Who's this person? Turn to the person next to you. How would you describe him? (laughs) Sting like a bee. (laughs) All right, let's come back. How would you describe him? Who's got an answer? Strong. There's a word. Strong. Another word, Dave. Mouth from the south. Power from the south. Mouth from the south. Mouth from the south. Huh? Arrogance. Arrogance. Teddy. A good, great boxer. Show off. Show off. Superman. Hey, this is how he describes himself. I am the greatest. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's how he describes himself. Next person. Who's that? How would you describe him? Turn to the person next to you. Be nice. Be nice. Be nice. nice. (laughs) All right. Be nice. Be be censored. It's church. Be censored. I didn't have to say that for John Howard, just for Kevin Rudd. How are we going to describe him? I can't hear you. A control freak. How else? A bully. Any other words? Some nicer ones? Kevin 07, let me tell you how he described himself. My name is Kevin. I'm from Queensland and I'm here to help. That's what I read about him. Who's this person? How would you describe him? Turn to the person next to you. All right, how are we going to describe him? Benny. Benny. Small what? Small man, big ego. Someone else? Vain. Vain. Another word for Mr. Trump? Dangerous. Dangerous. <laughs> He's, a Cyrus. He's a Cyrus. God uses him, but he doesn't believe in him. He's a him. The person God uses, but he doesn't believe in him. Thanks, Dave. This is the classic. This is, this is how he described himself. He considered... You'll love this. and made me laugh. Are you ready for this? He considers himself a member of the Lucky Sperm Club. <laughs> made me laugh. Made me feel. A lucky in the sperm. He would think that about themselves? You know, it's interesting. It's interesting with our, each one of these people we have. With each one of these people, we have different opinions and we describe them in different ways. I'd love to put a picture of Jesus up there, but we don't know what he looks like, so i just put a picture of the cross. We're talking about Jesus. Friends, how would you describe him? Turn to the person next to you. How would you describe Jesus? That was very quiet. Turn to the person next to you. How would you describe Jesus? Why are we struggling here? Interesting. Jesus struck Trump box. Oh A bit extreme. Alrighty, if I asked you, and and I I won't ask you now, because I'm going to challenge you about this. If if we asked the room about who Jesus was, we'd get lots of different answers. And if we went out in the community, if we were down there last night at the Easter Extravaganza and we asked people, who you think Jesus is? I'm sure we would have had lots of different answers. And that was true also at the time of Jesus. Jesus was a celebrity. People knew about him. People, like international celebrity. People came to find him. And people were talking about him. But people had different views of who he was. If if you were a a religious leader and you didn't like him, you would would call him a friend of tax collectors and sinners, meaning you did the same sort of stuff that a tax collector did. You did the same sort of thing that a sinner did, like a prostitute did. If you were Pilate, as the trial came on on the night before Good Friday, you saw him as an innocent man. The rich young ruler that I spoke on in two weeks ago, he described him as a good teacher. Peter declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In Luke 18, there's a story where Jesus heads to Jericho and he finds this blind guy out at the gate of Jericho so he would collect money as the travelers would come in. And he hears this commotion because Jesus is coming with a large crowd and he, and he cries out, what's going on? What's going on? And the someone in the crowd describes him as Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the man, is coming this way. And then the blind guy cries out, Jesus, son of David, a different title, a different description, because that man saw Jesus as the one who was in the line of David, the king to come, the the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who was going to come and rescue the people. At the time of Jesus, people had different views on who he was. In that Lego clip that we saw, the centurion, and the soldier declared, surely at the cross, this man, he must be the son of God. Even in Jesus' lifetime, people had different descriptions of him. But let's think for a moment about how did Jesus describe himself? As we looked at Donald Trump and Kevin Rudd, and I told you what they thought of themselves. How did Jesus describe himself? Now... We can laugh at sperm, um, sperm Club and we can laugh about Kevin's statement and Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. But, but, but what Jesus said about himself, wow, it is extreme, it is out there, and if you didn't know him, you would go, those claims are ridiculous. And if someone made those claims today, we'd mostly lock them up in a, in, in a, in, in a, in a mental hospital or we'd send them to get some help. Because the claims, the claims are ridiculous. Let me tell you six claims this morning, six claims briefly about how Jesus described himself. First thing he described himself as, he said that he is God. When he's talking to, to the Jews in John chapter 10, he said this, the Father and I are one. Jesus says the Father and I are one. Now, now what did Jesus mean by that? Did he mean like they're married, just like when you get a married couple and they become one flesh? Was he talking about a oneness around purpose, a, uh, a uh, oneness around relationship? What was he talking about? Well, it tells us a bit later in verse 31. It says, once again, the people picked up stones to kill Jesus because of what he said. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you, not for any good work, but for blasphemy, for you a me man claim, I can't say that. You are me, man, claim to be God. So when Jesus said, the Father and I are one, the people at the time knew exactly what he was talking about. And he was saying that I am God. Now, if you don't know Jesus, that is a ridiculous statement to say that he is God, the, the man who created and gives life and breathes his breath of the spirit and brings dead things alive. But if it's true that he's God, well, we must take great notice of the stuff that he says. The second thing about Jesus, how he describes himself, he says that he is the only way to God. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, many people in the community go, well, as long as you are part of some religion that worships God... Well, then God will accept you. It doesn't matter if you're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter which one. As long as you believe in God, well, then you're okay. But this verse speaks right against that. For that's not true. Not every religion leads to God. Jesus says, I am the way. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through him. Friends, there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. Every other religion is wrong. Can't say that in this politically correct age. But it's true, they're wrong. Those other religions will not get you to God. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus. The third claim he makes about himself, he says that he's going to pay for sins. Now, if you're a Jew at the time... you. You know the sacrificial system of the lambs and Passover, the the blood that Martin took us through on Thursday night, the blood over the doorframe when the people were about to leave and the blood that protected them from death. Jesus makes the claim that he's going to rescue people or ransom people from sins. In Mark 10.45, this is what he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, a ransom is paid when someone is kidnapped. And friends, we are stuck. We are kidnapped. We're imprisoned by sin, by our wrongdoing. We are trapped. We are separated from God. We are dead to God, and we deserve death. But Jesus says that He is the one who's going to ransom you. He's going to pay the price. For th- He's going to pay the death sentence that you deserved, He's going to take your sin upon himself so that you can be in relationship with God. You know when I talk to children about this at school, when I'm talking to young primary school kids, I, I try and explain it this way. I say to them, just imagine that you're in class and you do something stupid oh, like I used to do as a teacher. I used to um, turn the fan on if the kids were naughty I'd pick up the duster and throw it up in the fan, It would fly across the room and sco a kid. That's bad, bad teaching. You, you can't do that anymore. It was one of those soft dusters, not the wooden ones, David. It was a foam duster, right? But, but that's what I used to do. But aside that, kids loved it. They thought it was the best thing ever, as you'd imagine. But, but, but if a kid did it, that'd be really bad, right? So just pretend a kid gets a teacher's duster, throws it up into the fan, and it flies across the room, and the teacher sees it, and it says, right, Annabelle, Annabelle Riley, do not. that was so bad what you did, your punishment is you've got to come back at lunchtime, and you're going to write lines, I must be good in Mr. Green's class, a thousand times at lunchtime. And Annabelle goes, oh man, that sucks. That sucks. But then Hannah over there, who's in Annabelle's class, says, hey, Annabelle, I've done nothing wrong today. Can I take the punishment? Can I write the thousand lines for you? And Hannah comes up to the teacher and says, hey, teacher, I know Annabelle did the wrong thing, but I'm willing to take the punishment that she deserves. And the teacher says, okay, if that's how you want to do it. So Hannah comes at lunchtime, sits sits with Mr. Green, writes out a thousand lines, I must be good in Mr. Green's class, and Annabelle's let off the hook. That's how I explain it to kids, because that's what the gospel is like, That, 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 that we deserve punishment for our sin, but Jesus steps in and takes the punishment for us. Another claim of Jesus, number four, he says he's coming again. Now, get this. Imagine if Sam Riley stands up one day and says, boys and girls, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back in the clouds and everyone's going to see me in the sky. You go, Sam, let's have a talk about that, right? You would, because that's not normal. But that's what Jesus says about himself. In John 14, 1, he talks to his disciples and says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. You know, Jesus says to his disciples that he's going to be taken, he's going to die, he's going to rise, and then he's going to come back one day. Wow. What a statement. If you don't know Jesus, that is a ridiculous, a ridiculous statement. Number five, he says he's going to die and rise again. In Luke 18 it says, "Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, "Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He'll be handed over to the Romans, and he'll be mocked, treated shamefully and spat on. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, but on the third day, he will rise to life." Now, if Marcella said to M- M- Michelle one day, the workplace is bad, I, th- I think they're going to kill me. But don't worry, Michelle. Don't worry, Michelle. After three days, I'm going to come back to life again. Michelle's going to be thinking, Marcella, you've lost it. Now, I think she sort of thinks that already a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but, but she'd be thinking that a whole lot more if Marcelo said something like that. The claims of Jesus are outrageous. The claims of Jesus are ridiculous unless they're true. Unless they're true. On this Resurrection Sunday, here's the account. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, That the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hand of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Friends, that is the account of, of the ladies going to the tomb and encountering the angels who said, He is risen. And then, friends, his disciples saw him. And it wasn't just the 12. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. Then he was seen, friends. This, this resurrection isn't just a made-up story by, by people who wanted it to be true. There were eyewitnesses, and it wasn't one. It wasn't two. It wasn't 12. It was hundreds. Read this. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. At one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. In other words, you can go and ask them. They've seen the risen Jesus, some 500. If that went to court and witnessed After witness, after witness came and told the judge that that what they've seen, it would be recognised as yes, this event did happen because of the eyewitness accounts. Then he was seen by James and later the other all the apostles. Last of all, as though I've been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. That's the Apostle Paul talking about his Damascus Road experience. Friends, the claims of Jesus, claiming that he would rise from the dead, friends. It came true. And not only does it mean that we have victory over death, Does not only does it mean that, that, that although our flesh dies, our soul and our spirit live forever and God will give us a new body. 1 Corinthians 15. Go home, read it. It talks about the uh, new body we're going to get, the spiritual body that God is going to give us. Homework, 1 Corinthians 15. What is it? Good, got it. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the new bodies. But not only does he conquer death and give us this new life, his resurrection proves what he said about himself is true. His resurrection proves what about what he said about himself is true. Who can possibly say, I'm going to die and then rise from the dead? Now, if he didn't do it, well, he was a liar. He wasn't God. He wasn't the only way to the Father. But the fact that he did it, the fact that God the Father rose him up, means that what he says about himself is true. So when Jesus says that he is God, friends, we can believe him. When he says he is the only way to God, we can believe him. When he says he will pay for our sin, we can believe him. When he says he's the one that gives eternal life, we believe him. When he says... I think I missed that one. He is coming again. Friends, we can believe him. And number six, when he said he was going to die and rise, he did it. He did it. Friends, he's trustworthy. He is reliable. And we can trust him. How do you describe him this morning? Kevin Rudd can say, I'm a Queenslander. I'm here to help. John Howard can say, I'm an average bloke. Trump can talk about the sperm club, which I thought was really funny. And that's nice. And we can see those people and we can have an opinion. And our opinion of Donald Trump, well, does it really matter? Our opinion of John Howard, does it really matter? Our opinion of, does it it really matter? But friends, let me say this. Your opinion of Jesus, your opinion of Jesus, Your opinion of Jesus has monumental, monumental effect. One last scripture in John 3, verse 36. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. How you respond to Jesus, how you describe him has huge effects about your future. For it says here, whoever believes in him has eternal life, has this life that goes on, it's heaven. But whoever rejects him will not see eternal life in heaven, but rather that you will be under God's wrath for eternity, God's anger for eternity. Now, when we talk about believing, it's not just about a knowledge about who he is. You know, Satan believes that Jesus is God. Satan believes that he paid for sin. Satan believes he rose from the dead. Satan believes that he's the one coming again. But Satan doesn't believe in him like this verse is talking about. See, when it says believe in this verse, it's not just a knowing. It's rather a deep trust a deep reliance. The difference is I believe that chair can hold me up. That's, that's, that's like a knowledge thing. But this verse is saying I believe it, so I'm going to sit on it. That's the thing that God talks about. This is the, that's what it says. When it says believe in this verse, that's the meaning of the verse. It's not just I believe about him, but I'm going to rely on him for my forgiveness of sin. I'm going to depend upon him to restore my relationship with God. I'm going to believe in him to give me eternity when when I leave this earth. It's a trust. It's a reliance that you know, that you know, and you depend upon it. And friends, when you got it, not only is the next life sorted, not only is sin dealt with now, not only do you have eternal life, but you can live a life of surrender. A life where you go, God, I know who you are. Like Kath said when she blew the song at the beginning, I, I know that you love me anyway. And then she just nailed it. That was, you led worship so well today, Kath. I know that you love me. I do not need to fear. I do not need to fear in any area of my life because I know that you got me. I do not need to fear death because I know that there is resurrection and there's life after death. We can live a life of surrender saying, Jesus, here I am. I'm with you. Use me. Do you have that belief in Jesus this morning? You know, most people will go, yeah, I believe he did this. I believe he did that. As like a knowledge. But this verse talks about belief in trust and reliance and surrender. And that's the belief that Jesus wants for you. Right now in this moment, I want to give you an opportunity to put your trust, put your reliance, to put your belief like this verse talks about in him. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning, and I've described Jesus, I've talked about who he is, the uh, his description of himself, his claims about himself. You know, Jesus is calling us to believe in him, not just with a knowledge, but with a trust, with a reliance, with a surrender. And if you want to do that this morning, if you want to surrender, if you want to trust, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord, if you're going to ask him to forgive you for your sin, if you want eternal life with him forever, I encourage you to pray this prayer after me in church. As we do, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is God. Thank you that he died on the cross for us. Thank you that he rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you just pray that prayer, you become a Christian. Welcome to the family. It is the best decision that you could ever make. But friends, it's the beginning of the journey. Don't stop there. Don't walk away. That's it. You got your ticket. No, no. It's a life of loving. It's a, it's, as I talked about believing, it's a life of trust. It's a life of surrender. It's, it's a life of dependence upon him as he carries you and as he guides you. Please tell someone. Please tell someone that you made that decision. We're going to wipe the band up. Come on, band. And they're going to sing a song, no doubt, a song where we can honour God and celebrate what he's done today. And at the end of the song, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. And we're going to minister to people like we do each week. Father, we want to thank you on this day for the resurrection of Jesus. We want to thank you that the resurrection points to the fact that we can believe you in what you've said, Jesus. You said that you are God and the resurrection proves that what you said is true. You said that you are going to ransom us from our sin and your resurrection proves that to be true. You said you're here to offer eternal life and your resurrection proves that to be true. You said you were going to die and you were going to rise and God, that is true. You are trustworthy. You are reliable and we can lay our lives down to honour you and trust you and serve you, God, and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord.